0: All right, we are in part four of a series that we are doing called Long Story Short. And what we have been doing for the past three weeks, and if you are new, if this is the first time you've been here or the first time in a few weeks you've been here, you're going to be coming in kind of halfway through our story. But we are taking seven weeks. It's probably actually going to be eight weeks now because I've been taking too long through the Old Testament um, to go through the whole Bible, kind of the main overlying story of the Bible So that when you are reading, if you open up your Bible and you're reading the book of Ezekiel and you're like, this doesn't make any sense, I don't know what I'm reading. We're trying to give everyone just kind of a basic idea of the, uh, the arching story of the scripture, the nation of Israel through the Old Testament, leading up to Jesus, Jesus' life and ministry, the start of the church, which leads to us today, all of these things. Um, so we started right at the beginning, four weeks ago, Genesis, the creation account, Genesis through Abraham, and Abraham, I'm gonna get you caught up here. This is the part of the, if you're binge watching Netflix, you don't need this because you've just finished watching your previous episode four seconds ago. But if you are like old fashioned and you had to wait a week before your next episode, you had the recap. So I'm giving you the recap. Previously, on Long Story Short, um, God spoke to Abraham, said, I'm going to make a covenant with you and your descendants and your offspring, and your descendants are going to be a great nation. And Abraham had Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, but then rose to power and influence in Egypt. And we see that then there was a famine, and that's how all the Israelites settled in Egypt. And then they became slaves. And so maybe you've heard the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, into freedom, through the Red Sea and towards the Promised Land. This is what we talked about Last week, that's as, that's as far as we've gotten in three weeks, but that's, a, that's not bad, right? We, we talked about, we finished up the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We talked about how in that Pentateuch, there are a few books in there that are really a tough read, right? If you're wanting to read the Bible, there's some of those that are all about the law and the rules, and part of the old covenant that God made with Abraham was this. Here's the rules, Here's how you sacrifice, here's how you worship in the temple, here's how you behave, here's all the things that you have to do, and then because of that, that will cause us to have a relationship, God with his people. So that was through the Pentateuch, and then we got up to the Promised Land, and because of the Israelites' lack of faith, because they saw that the Promised Land had armies and cities and powerful enemies... They said, we can't go in there. Even though God had said, I've given you this land, their lack of faith stopped them from going into the promised land. And so God punished them by saying, you're now going to wander the wilderness for 40 years. Well, where we pick it up today, they are about to enter the promised land. So we're starting in the book of Joshua today. We're actually going to cover like a huge chunk of the Old Testament today. Um, So in Joshua chapter 1, that's where we're picking it up. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. Moses has died. Joshua is now the leader of the nation of Israel, and they're about to enter the promised land. And here's what it says in Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 6. We're going to read 6 through 9. They'll be up on the screen, too, these words. Joshua 1 and 6, this is God instructing Joshua here. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people. Do we got those slides up there? Is it not happening? That one's not in there? Maybe I... Oh, that one might be next. I might have moved it around. Sorry. This is a big budget operation we got going on here. There it is, right there. Thanks. That's my fault. I I moved things around and didn't swap it out in the slides. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Now remember, we've been talking all along. God appears to Abraham and then God appears to Isaac and says, I'm the same God as your father Abraham. And then God appears to Jacob and says, I'm the same God that was with your ancestors, Isaac and Abraham. And it just keeps going on. Now God is saying this to Joshua. I'm the same God. I swore to give you the land to your ancestors, and I'm going to give it to you now. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law. That's all the things we read in the first five books of the Bible. Be careful to obey all of the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God is telling Joshua, the time is now. Take the Israelites. Take the land. I've given you this land. The time is now. But you see that in there. He says, The whole way this covenant is set up, the whole way this relationship is set up is, I've given you the rules, I've given you the law, so meditate on it, memorize it. Old Testament Jews would memorize the first five books of the Bible. We have a hard time even reading through it. They would commit it to memory because this is the law of God. Meditate on it, keep it on your lips, memorize it so that you won't veer from it because this was how that relationship was set up in the Old Testament. If you obey the commands, you'll be prosperous and successful. So this is what God challenged Joshua with. Take them in now. Take them into the promised land. And so the Israelites, Joshua leads them across the Jordan River into the promised land. Now, this was not an open, this this house, this new house was not move-in ready. There was there was old nations living in the promised land that the Israelites had to get rid of. And so the first city they come up to is Jericho. And you might know this city if you grew up in Sunday school, they, you know, God leads the Israelites up to the city of Jericho, a powerful city, powerful walls, armies, um, and God says, what you're going to do is you're going to walk around the city each day for six days. So, they'd go out, and I imagine, you know, you walking around the city, the enemy has to be looking at them like, what in the world are these people doing? Like, this ain't going to do anything, you know, go back to your land. Um... And then the next day, walk around it again. And God instructs them, for six days, walk around the city walls one time. And on the seventh day, walk around the city walls seven times. So they're getting their steps in, right? They're getting their exercise in. And, uh, and then I love the command. And if you read this in the first few chapters of Joshua, I love this command. It says, after you've walked around it seven times on that day, raise your voice and shout and blow the trumpets and declare this. Raise your voice in victory. God has given us this city. Now, I read that this week, and I was challenged by that. Because if you're walking around a city, and you raise your voice, and you're going to shout, God has given us this city, at what point do you realize that God has given you the city? Usually, it's after the walls have fallen, and the army has been defeated. That's when you can say, yay, God was victorious, and he gave us this city. But God challenges them, as he does with us all the time in our faith. He says, before the walls even come down, Before the army's even defeated, I want you to raise your voice and say, God has given us this city. It's a proclamation of faith. It's like, in our mind, we think when the walls come down, that's when we know that God has given us this city. But what God is saying is, you know it even before the walls have come down, because I've said it. That's what God is saying. I have declared this to you, and my promise is true. It is good. You can raise your voice in faith saying, God has given us this city, even when the walls are still standing and the enemy is still there. And eventually, the walls fall down, the enemy is defeated, and the Israelites are victorious over the city of Jericho. And so that's the first time they moved into a place said, so this is part of God giving us this land. He is with us. We are victorious. Now, i got to give one kind of background instruction that God gave them before they entered the promised land. Now, this was in Exodus. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it because we're going backwards a little bit, and we've got to make our way forward here. Um, but when God was instructing Moses... In Exodus 23, he says, you're going to go into the promised land. He gave them an instruction, a very important instruction, and it was this. And this is God talking to Moses, talking about when they're going to go into the promised land. It says this in verse 31 of Exodus 23. Do we have that one? I want to make sure I got, I will establish. Do we got one that says, I will establish your borders? There we go. Excellent. God is saying to Moses, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea. This is God saying, this is how big the promised land is going to be. And from the desert to the Euphrates River, I will give you, I will give into your hands the people who live in the land, and you will drive them out before you. So we just saw them do that with the people of Jericho. And then this is the instruction. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods, Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. This is God's instruction. God wants them when he's moving through the promised land to drive out all the previous inhabitants. Say, don't make covenants with them. Don't make agreements with them. Don't, you know, mingle with them. Don't intermarry with them. Don't start worshiping their gods because all of these things, if you let them live in the land with you, eventually their idol worship will become your idol worship. That's what God is saying. He wants them to rid the land, to drive them out completely. And he did that because he didn't want there to be compromise in their hearts. He knows our human nature. He knows that eventually they would start um, becoming used to their customs and used to their religions and used to their gods and their idols and would start worshiping them. So this was the instruction. And as Joshua leads the Israelites in there through the promised land, they are faithful to that. Everywhere they go, they drive out the previous inhabitants completely. They tear down all the old altars and idols, and they were faithful to what God had asked. They drove out the other nations completely. And that, if you read through the book of Joshua, that is really the whole story of Joshua, is the Israelites moving through the promised land, encountering enemies, driving people out, the the 12 tribes of Israel finding places that they can settle, and it continues to be expand through the promised land all throughout the book of Joshua. Judges, the book of Judges, they're ex- still expanding through the new land and territory, but here's what happens in Judges chapter 1. We're moving through it quick today. Judges chapter 1 verse 19, this is what happens. The Lord was with the man of Judah, Now, they're still conquering the promised land here. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. In other words, it got really difficult to drive these people out of the land, so they didn't. Verse 20, as Moses had promised... Hebron, he was given, to Caleb, who was given to Caleb, who drove from the three sons of Anak. The Benjamites, however, did not drive the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. And to this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. Okay, so you might read that sometime and be like, this is just a lot of names. I don't know how to pronounce. Um, just details of the story. But what's happening here is Israel is starting to compromise on that command that God gave them. I want you to drive them completely out of the land because they're going to start to compromise your faith. But here's where we start to see they're like, yeah, this is difficult. They're a really tough army, so we're just going to let them stay there. Um, it says the Benjamites lived with the Jebusites. They didn't you know, drive them out, so they said, we'll just let you live here. We're in charge, but you guys can live here. And it says to this day the Jebusites live with the Benjamite, Benjaminites. Israel allows other nations to remain. Soon they would start intermarrying with them, taking on their customs and their religious rituals. And soon, if you read through the book of Judges, it turns into, as God had said, idolatry, sin, idol worship. This is what's happening. And you can see this in Judges chapter 2. You can see how quickly it goes downhill. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says this. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, in other words, after all the Israelites that crossed the Jordan River had died and gone to be with Jesus, after the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, or the idols of the land. They forsook the Lord their God of their... uh, God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods and the peoples around them, and they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and Ashtoreth's other false gods or idols. So we see this happen so quick. The generation that crossed the river was gone, and now you had another generation grow up that didn't know what God had done. And quickly they allow compromise and idol worship to come in. And the whole book of Judges is about Israel as they slip further and further and further into sin and compromise and unrighteousness. They forgot and abandoned the instructions that God had given them and the covenant that he had made with them. They had forgotten what we had been reading about the past few weeks where God would say, just be faithful to me. The Lord is your life. I will provide everything you need if you'll be faithful to me. They grew up. They didn't know about this God. They didn't know about his faithfulness. They didn't know about what he had done in Egypt or bringing them into the promised land. And that is always a reminder to me, in this small church that we have in Minnesota, how important it is to pass our faith on to our kids. Parents of kids, you can can raise them up to have an awesome curveball or great at lacrosse or all these things, but I want, first and foremost, a foundation of who God is and what they've done. I want that to be something that as a church collectively, we pour tons of ministry dollars and effort and volunteers into our kids' ministry. We want the generation coming behind us to know what God has done, to know that he is faithful so that we don't see that compromise slip in. Parents, with your kids, this is a challenge for me as for you as well. We've got to raise up our kids knowing who God is, not allowing those areas of compromise in, not allowing them to forget who God is and how faithful he has been. So for the rest of the book of Judges, it's called Judges because God raises up leaders. God raises up judges. All along, God had said, you're not going to be a nation of kings, but he says, well, I'm going to give you this, what's called a judge or a leader. And as that leader would lead, God would be with them. They would turn back to God and things would go well for a little while. And then that judge would die and then they would turn instantly, seems instantly, back to idol worship, to sin, to sin to wickedness. And you see that throughout Judges. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And this nation uh, was so devoted to God, just spirals down and down and down because that compromise had come in. And in Judges, you you know, you know maybe heard of Gideon. He was one of the Judges. Um, stories of Gideon or Samson, Samson and Delilah. That story is in the book of Judges. It gets worse and worse and worse. And at the end of Judges, the last line says, and everyone did what they saw fit, or everyone did what they believed was right. And you fall and that's following up some terrible stories, some of the worst stories in the Bible. Judges also has some pretty cool stories of of women walking into tents with rulers there and, and hitting them in the head with a tent peg and wiping out evil kings. And it's pretty awesome. If you got, you know, there's some cool stories in there if you want your teenage boy to get interested in scripture, like, yeah, there's a temple, you know, smashed with a hammer and all that stuff. So unless you're sensitive about that and this is, you know, then then don't do that. But I don't want to be advocating violence. I'll get an email, and the pastor was advocating violence. But then near the end of Judges, you get some really, really terrible stories. Just um, as an example of what happens when everyone turns from God and is just left to live how they think they should. If you want to see what happens to a nation when everyone is just living to, according to what feels right or what they think is right, read through the Book of Judges. That is what happens. It got worse and worse and worse. It's Judges is really a book about how compromise leads God's people away from God's best for them. And it starts with little compromise, and it just takes root, and it leads them further and further and further away. So that's kind of the main idea that I want to talk about today, but before we do that, um, I want to just give a quick overview of kind of the next several books just because I want you to understand kind of in the timeline where this all fits. So right after Judges is the book of Ruth. Ruth is kind of like a standalone story, a beautiful story, love story, uh, a story of redemption during the time of the Judges. A great story. You should read that one. After that, we have Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles broken up into First and Second Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Those six books... Cover the entire period when Israel had a king. Now, I mentioned this earlier. God, all along, had said to the Israelites, I don't want you to have a king. A king is going to lead you in a wrong direction. I want to be your king, is what God is saying. I want to be your leader. But after a while, Israel looks around and sees all the other nations, and they say, We want to be like all the other nations. And so God says, Okay, you know, the, the priest there, Samuel, says, Sorry, God, they didn't mean it. And God says, You know what? They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me as their king, but give them what they ask for. Let's give them a king. So the first king is King Saul, who had every outward appearance of being a great king, but he had wickedness in his heart, and he was not devoted to God. And after that was King David, a great king, known as a man after God's own heart. A lot of these books are the stories around King David, starting from when he was a boy, defeating Goliath all the way to when he was ruling. He had his ups and downs for sure. Uh, After King David was King Solomon. King Solomon built the temple, the big temple, you know, before they were worshiping in a tabernacle, like a tent that they would move around with them. They built this magnificent temple under King Solomon. So really, those three kings are like the main kings when Israel was one big kingdom. And after Solomon, there was a bit of a civil war, and the kingdom split into two. So if you're reading these books, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, sometimes you'll be reading like, well, he was the king of Israel, but he was the king of Judah. Now, it took me a while, you know, when I was younger, I'm like, well, why? I thought it was Israel. Who's Judah? Well, Israel split into two. The northern kingdom was Israel. And the southern kingdom around Jerusalem was Judah. So as you're reading these, that you know, hopefully will help you understand a little bit. There was two kingdoms. Each had a king. And throughout these books, and this really covers you know, generation after generation, um, It's some kings would come in and rule well, and they'd bring the nation back to God. Some kings would come in, and they'd have evil in their heart, and they'd lead the nation away from God. Um, actually, do we have that? Oh, yeah, there it is right there. So the historical books, Joshua, Judges, which we talked about today, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, that's all the years where they had a king in Israel. And then Ezra and Nehemiah is when God allows them to be exiled. Babylon comes in, wipes them out, takes them away as like slaves again. We're going to cover that next week. And we also talked about books like that just are standalone stories, Job, Ruth, and Esther. And then there's a a section of books that are like wisdom books or almost like poetry. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Those are books like Psalms, for example, is a book of prayers, a book of worship songs. People would have these memorized. They would sing these or recite these as part of their sacrifices or their worship in the temple. And you have, we have some of these. You might have grabbed one. Sorry, I'm throwing it around everywhere. Kind of like a timeline that we designed. They're on the little stand back there. If you would like one, take one home. That kind of gives you just an overview of all the books of the Bible and a timeline of what we're talking about. It might help you as you're studying the Old Testament. And then finally, there are prophetic books, books of prophecy. Now, after we get through these books, we get to Isaiah. And that's like half of the Old Testament almost is books of prophecy. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. These are all prophetic books. So what was happening during all the historical events which we have listed in those top books, you also have books of prophecy where God was speaking to the nation of Israel through the prophets. He would speak to Isaiah and say, go to the king and tell him this. Go to the king and say, you've got to stop leading the nation away from wickedness. Bring them back to me or disaster is going to happen. You'll find those all in those books. Isaiah through Malachi, that's Isaiah through the rest of the Old Testament, are books of prophecy that are talking about the events in Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. So I hope that makes sense. But there's, if you're reading through the Old Testament, there's historical books and then there's prophetic books. The prophecy books actually have a lot of like end times prophecy, stuff that is yet to happen, which is kind of cool, right? We'll talk about that in the final week of our series. So that was just a quick, quick overview of the rest of the Old Testament books. We'll talk about exile through the rest of the Old Testament next week. Um, But where we're at today is that Israel is in the Promised Land and they've allowed compromise into their life. And they have kings, and they have judges, and they have rulers, that if they are ruling well, they'll bring them back to God. But eventually, when left on their own, they always allow that compromise to take root and to lead them away from God. Um, So the main point of today is this. Here's what I want to talk about in in the few minutes we have left. We've seen the Israelites start from a covenant with Abraham, slaves in Egypt, mighty deliverance out of Egypt into the wilderness. God provided for them into the promised land. And all along he's saying, just be faithful to me. Don't allow compromise into your heart. Don't allow sin into your heart. Hold the law of God close to you and things will go well for you. And what we see is how just a little bit of compromise, just a little bit of, oh, we're not going to drive these people out of the land. It's probably okay. God's not going to mind this much if we let the Jebusites just have this little part here. We see how that compromise infects. We see how compromise affects us in so many ways. The people that they didn't drive out of the land in Judges, they would be enemies of Israel for generations and generations. You would read later on, The Moabites would come, and they would have a battle against Israel. All these people that, way back in Judges, they refused to get out of the Promised Land. They would become a snare to them as far as their religion is concerned, and they would become an enemy to them as far as, like, their military and their army. That little compromise had effects for generation after generation after generation. We would see that they would intermarry with these other people, and it was a constant battle against sinful practices And it turned out into full-scale idol worship and rejection of God. Now, I talked about this last week, how the story of the Israelites being enslaved, being set free, and then entering the promised land, that's kind of our story of faith. We are all, we started out enslaved in sin. We're all sinners, right? We started out slaves to sin, but God in his mighty hand delivered us into freedom and forgiveness through what Jesus did. And now it's our... You know, our job now as new followers of Jesus is what the Israelites, their job was. Their job was to go into the promised land and to learn now what it means to follow God. So, for example, um, at no point did the Israelites, after they left Egypt and they're about to go into the promised land, did they say, okay, God's delivered us out of slavery. We're done. Our story is over. That was not the end of their story, right? That was the beginning of their story, learning how to follow Jesus, learning how to be obedient to Jesus. The same thing holds true for us. If you come to church and maybe you've had that moment where you've had a salvation experience, you've raised your hand in church or you prayed a prayer or somebody prayed for you and you became a Christian, it would be the same thing for us to say, well, now I'm done. You know, my story's over. No, that's not the end of your story. When you raise your hand in church or you become a Christian, that's the beginning of your story. That's the beginning of new life. God has turned your life around, but this is the beginning now where, like the Israelites, we learn to walk in new life. We learn to be faithful and obedient to God. We learn what it means to have the truth of God come alive in us. We grow in our faith. So I would never want anybody to think, okay, I went to church once. Pastor, you know, sometimes we'll do it in church where we, you know, if you grew up in church, we did this a lot more. You close your eyes, nobody's looking around, nobody's looking around. When I was a kid and the pastor said every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around, I remember always thinking, I'm totally looking around, you know, he doesn't see me. And I think the pastor already knew. Um, We have moments like that where we bow our heads, we close our eyes. If you would like to become a follower of Jesus, lift up your hand. Okay, we do that. Sometimes we'll say a, a sinner's prayer, repeat after me. You know, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I receive your mercy. I want to live for you. Something like that. Those are, those outside things, if you come to an altar, if you lift a hand, whatever it is, those are, those are fine. But that's not, it's, it's a heart thing. It's not a hand thing. It's a heart thing. And that is not the end of your story. That's the beginning of your story. Right? I hope this is making sense. This is the beginning of, God, I want new life in you. Now, from this day forward, I'm going to live for you, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to learn what it means to have that new life. So, I would hate for someone to come in and raise a hand and say a prayer and then think, okay, well, that's it. Is that it? Is that all I'm supposed to do? And have nothing change. And have nothing change after that. I would hate for somebody to come in and think, well, that's the end of my story. My eternity is secure. Now, back to normal life. That's not the point. The point is we now have new life in Christ. Like Israel, that's not the end of our story. Raising our hand is just the beginning. So, I want people to surrender their life to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you've never done that. You don't have to wait for the head-bowed, eye-closed, hand-raised moment. It is simply just acknowledging, God, I am a sinner, and I am far away from you because of my sin. But I know Jesus died, and he rose again so that I could be forgiven. And if you declare that and you receive the mercy, then you are forgiven. You are set free. You are a Christian. You are a follower of Christ. You are going to heaven, and these are all awesome things. But then after that, like Israel, once they got into the promised land, after that, it is a journey every day towards holiness, okay? It's a journey every day towards holiness. It's a journey every day. It's I, I like to think of it like this. As the Israelites went into the promised land and God said, get everybody out of there. Don't allow anything to remain that was there before. When we become followers of Christ, God does the same work in our hearts, okay? God comes in and says, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, okay, Here's all the old inhabitants of your life, all that old greed, all that old lust, all that old pride, all of these things that were in there, we're going to get those out of there. And I don't want you to let any of them remain. Now, this is a process that takes our whole life, but we are on a journey towards that holiness. And like the Israelites, we can never allow those areas of compromise in there. Amen? We can never allow those areas of compromise in there. We can't say, ah... This is fine. You know, that that little area of my life, God, I've done so many I've done so many improvements in here and the other things. This little thing is fine to remain. Any little compromise is going to take root and it is going to it is going to cause you to be pulled away from God, just like we see in the Israelites in the book of Judges. So I want to encourage you today. The big idea is this. We're on a journey every day to grow in our faith, to grow towards Holiness, to not allow those areas of compromise in, those areas, those old ways of thinking, those old inhabitants of our lives, addiction, greed, all the areas of sin, lust, pride, anger, Let's remove those through the help of the Holy Spirit and replace them with new, abundant life in Jesus Christ. I don't want anyone to think that following Jesus means that we just don't change. We change. Everything changes in us, amen? Everything changes, and we never get it perfectly right. There's always days where we're like, oh, man, I messed up here. But we are on that journey, towards holiness. We are on that journey where we say God, I'm going to I want to get rid of this in my life. I will need your help. I want to drive out those old things, those old ways of thinking, those old sins. Everything changes. So I want to challenge you today and I challenge me today. Have you allowed like the Israelites did? Have you allowed some areas of compromise in your life? Have you allowed some areas of just settling, like, oh, God, you know, I think I'm just going to carry this thing forever. You know, we'll just, this, this will be like the little Jebusites in my heart. You know, I'm just going to let them remain. I'm gonna, they were hard, this one's really hard to get rid of God, so I'm just going to let that old addiction, that old anger, whatever it is, I'm just going to let that remain because that's a really tough one to get rid of. So 95% is, is still an A in your books. Got, you know, God is not okay with that. God says, no, we want to drive out the old things, do the work, don't allow compromise into your heart. So have you allowed that? Have you stalled out on your journey of becoming new in Christ? Have you stalled out in that pursuit of God's holiness? Are, things that are, are there things in your life that you are pursuing that you know are against God's holiness? Are there relationships that have taken priority as first place in your life over your relationship with God? Are there desires in your heart that we are giving into? And those desires betray not only your values, but the values that God lays before us. One of the things that we are, are foundational about at Homestead is we're a group of people that we help each other grow. We help each other grow in our faith. So this is a grow moment today. Are there areas that you need to get rid of? Are there things in your heart that you have allowed to remain where God has said all along, I want you to get rid of that. It's time to get rid of that. Drive out the old inhabitants. We're here to grow. Not only are we here to grow, we're here to help each other grow. And that's why I love a church like this. This is where we can come alongside one another and say, ha, Hey, how's that going with this? Hey, I want to challenge you in this. Hey, let's grow in this. Hey, let's you know, get rid of this in your life. This is what we do as the church. We help each other grow. Now, there's one big, one big difference, and this is what I want to end on today. There's one big difference between our story and the Israelites in the Old Testament. For them in the Old Testament, they were under the old covenant, which was this. Obey the rules and things are going to go well for you. If you obey the rules, you'll be seen as righteous. You'll be seen as acceptable to God. If you do all the things, then God's going to be okay with you. That was the Old Testament law. We're not under the old covenant anymore, right? We're under the new covenant, and that is this. We are righteous because of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. When Jesus was giving, when he was doing the Last Supper, and he was, you know, what we, what we quote during communion, Jesus with his disciples, he says, this is the body that is broken for you. This is the blood that is shed for you. It is part of the new covenant, which means the old laws and you got to obey all the rules for God to be okay with you, that's not the case anymore. That is the miracle of what Christ has done. It's the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ that means you are seen as righteous because of Christ. So you can mess up on all the things, and you are still seen as righteous and forgiven through Jesus Christ. So you never have to have that moment of condemnation where you think, God, I'm trying to be holy. I'm trying to get rid of all the old inhabitants. I'm trying to do all the things you want me to do, and I keep messing up here. And you never have to have that condemnation like God is going to say, well, we're sending you into exile. You know, that's the old covenant. You can confidently know that God still views you as righteous as holy, as forgiven, which is just unbelievable to think about what Christ has done. But this is what we have because of Christ dying. We are not motivated by guilt or rules. Instead, what we have is mercy and unfailing love. We are in Christ, and because of that, God sees us as righteous. So maybe, you know, young to the oldest here, maybe there's been times where you think, You know, I had these moments as a kid growing up. If I did something that disobeyed the rules, I quickly had to say I'm sorry to Jesus before the rapture happened or else I'd miss it, right? That constant fear of, well, I got to get forgiven quick because if Jesus comes back and I just stole that cookie even though I wasn't supposed to, I'm going to miss the boat. And so I got that constant feeling of, I got to make sure, you know, every every, you know, few minutes, Lord, for any sins that I committed. I'm sorry. I want to go to heaven with you. That's not the case because in Christ, when you receive that mercy, this is the gospel. When you receive the mercy of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Your eternity is secure. You have that knowledge that his mercy is unfailing because of what Christ has done. So we don't feel condemned when we trip up. But yet we still pursue Holiness. We don't feel condemned because we mess up, but yet we still pursue holiness. Not out of guilt. Christy mentioned it today in the worship time. It's because of your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Because of his love that he has given us. Because of his unfailing mercy. We say, God, I want new life. I want to pursue righteousness. I want to pursue holiness. And I'm going to mess up from time to time, but I'm still going to pursue it and I'm not going to say, I can just do whatever I want because I know you're going to forgive me. No, we, we highly regard the mercy and unfailing love of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. This very thing in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul is teaching this in the New Testament. Romans 6, 1 through 4. Talking about this very idea of being under grace and not under the law. He says, what shall I say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Those last lines, just because of what Christ has done, we don't say, I'm going to just keep on sinning because then God's grace is going to be even more strong. No, we live a new life, the last sentence, so that we may live a new life, so that we may pursue righteousness and holiness. Now, this is a tough balance at times. Just practically speaking, this can be tough. I keep, you know, times where you think, I keep messing up here. God, I know you want me to to do better here. God, I know you have better things for me here, but we don't feel crushed or condemned. We feel highly motivated to pursue God and pursue full devotion and and holiness. But we don't feel condemned. And here's what I've experienced in my life, and maybe you've experienced this too. We have a spiritual enemy who will tell us two lies. Two lies that the enemy will tell us. And the first one is what the Israelites experienced in the book of Judges. The first lie that the enemy will tell us is this. It's just a little compromise, It's just a little compromise. It's not a big deal. It's just a little area of sin. God's going to be okay with that. It's just a little compromise for now, knowing that the the enemy knows that that's going to be what drags us away from God. So that's the first lie. It's just a little compromise. A little sin is not a huge deal. And the second lie is this. I can't believe you did that, God is so mad at you, what a huge deal, and God is never going to love you again, right? The first lie is, it's not a big deal, you can do it. And the second lie, after you give in, is God's mad at you and is never going to forgive you for this. This is a huge deal. Those are the two enemy, the two lies of the enemy. A little compromise is not a big deal, and the second one is this, you have failed and God is mad at you and is never going to forgive you. And we can't live under either of those lies. One lie is designed to pull you away from God, and the other lie is designed to keep you away from God to keep you from going to God. If you've ever had a moment where you're like thinking, God, I don't even want to pray for forgiveness for this thing in my life because it is the 10 millionth time I've had to pray for forgiveness and you've got to be getting tired of me coming to you. That's a lie of the enemy. We know his mercy is unfailing. Does he want you to continue to struggle with those things? No, God wants you to get new life. But we can always go to him confidently in Christ saying, God, I've messed up, I, I pray for your mercy, I receive your mercy, thank you for your mercy, I want to live new life. So if you are feeling like you can't approach God because you have done something too bad or you have messed up and done something too wrong, that is a lie of the enemy. We are righteous not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done in us. Now that's why we're here as a church that's why we do this, is to see Jesus change lives in that way. That's why we're here. We, that's why we're growing as a community of faith. We want to pursue that holiness. We want to receive the mercy of Christ and walk in new life. And that's also why we need your involvement in a church. This is way, way more than you just coming to church battling the snow on a snowy day and sitting through a church service and going on with your week. We need you on board because there are people in your world that need to experience this new life in Christ. We need you to walk out in new life in Christ so that you can share that with your world around you. There are so many people that will not hear about this new life in Christ if you are not engaged. There are people that God has for you to share the new life in Christ with that you're going to encounter this week. This is not just come to church. This is not just settle for compromise. This is not just, well, I raised my hand once and nothing's going to change. This is why we do this. This is why we are a church, because there are people who need to hear this. There are people who need to experience the new life in Christ. Without it, there are people who won't experience this. There are people who won't have their families changed and therefore their kids' lives changed and their future grandkids and generations that will be made different. There is a lot at stake here. We need everybody on board. But we're not preaching, you know, rules and condemnation. We're always preaching New life in Christ, new life in Christ. I think churches or Christians do a bad job at times where we go to the world with our rules. We say, well, you're messing up because you're not following one, two, seven through 10. You know, those rules, you're not following those. Instead, we say, no, It's not about the rules anymore. It's about new life in Christ. There's mercy and love and forgiveness and eternity with God, and that's why we need everybody on board. So I've been doing this each week. We kind of wrap up with one final thing. Long story short, do we have that last slide? Long story short, the Israelites' salvation from Egypt was not the end of their journey it was the beginning. They were now learning how to live as God's people. However, compromise begins to set in as they reject God and in increasing severity turn towards idolatry and sin. But God continues to call people to forgiveness, redemption, and holiness. And that's what our God does. Let's close in prayer today.